Welcome to Built for Life, the podcast dedicated to socially conscious property professionals who believe the future can be better than the present and your property decisions make it so. So to all of the innovators, this podcast will give you behind the scenes access to industry leading experts and researchers on how they think, create, analyze and deliver the best buildings in the world extracting their key advice, information, and considerations that you can apply to your personal and professional life. This is Adam Hines with my co-host, Jordan Ralph. Welcome to the Built for Life podcast. Well, hello there, property professionals. Welcome to another episode of the Built for Life podcast. And today's guest is Gary Elliott. And Gary is an industry-leading structural and civil engineer who is the co-founder and CEO of Elliott Wood Partnership Limited. And they have delivered such notable projects as the Old War uh, Office, Heathrow Terminal 4, the five-star hotel, The Ned, and Bow Street Magistrates Court, and many, many more. And today we have an exceptionally thought-provoking conversation centered around the role that property professionals and structural engineers play through the design making to create a better, more sustainable future. So if you want to learn more about how your buildings can be more efficient or more sustainable or more healthy, then Gary is at the forefront of the industry in these respects And he's also one of the most strategic long-term thinkers that I have met. So it's ideal for you to learn uh, these aspects from. And what I personally found very interesting and what others can definitely learn from this talk is the way that Gary approaches the design of every building from a future and current impact perspective by constantly assessing how his design decisions today will reduce the cost and improve efficiencies but also how these decisions will influence uh, the future society in say 5, 10, 30 years time. So it's an absolutely fantastic and really really inspiring talk which will give you a whole new perspective on how to approach building design and your role within that process. So without further ado I give you Gary Elliott. So a huge welcome to the show, Gary. Thank you very much. Welcome, Gary. Great to have you on. Thank so you it is, uh, it's an absolute pleasure to have you on board today. And we're really excited to talk about redefining the role of structural engineers to create a better future for all of us. As the, the structure of any building is vital for the health, well-being and also sustainable outcomes for the end users and, and everyone. But for us, the structural aspect is one of those things that often goes unseen and it doesn't ever really get much airtime or attention. However, we know it's critical uh, for a successful social and environmental outcomes. So let's just dive straight into the topic. And I'd like to start with you, Gary, and your company's why. And at the very beginning of your website, it says, we are no ordinary engineers. We are activists for a new kind of engineering profession. So I'm I'm interested to understand why is activism important for you personally? 
I think it's interesting. I think, um, you know, when we, when we first started, I think, you know, we, we, we set up something like 25, 26 years ago. Um, and I think structural engineers have always been known to design beams, design columns, and to be the kind of the, the engine room, I suppose, sitting behind, um, you know, the architects and, and the other designers. Um, and I think, uh, you know, sort of the, the world has changed since the time when we first set up. And uh, engineering, I think, has the opportunity to, um, to sort of really question those, those aspects and really start to think much more about um, what we do as structural engineers and engineers as a whole um, to try and influence things for, for the better. Um, I think the, uh, the construction industry historically has been very bad. Um, it's been very bad polluter. It uses materials that are historically bad. Um, and, uh, and very little consideration, I think, was given historically to any of the impact that the construction process was um, uh, was making to, you know, the environment and, and to the kind of wider society as well. Um, and so we've, we've tried to question that, I suppose, and, and change that. And, you know, we, we, I suppose, are trying to look and see what we need to do now um, to look into the future to see what buildings need to be uh, looking like in the future so that we can start to design that way now um, and and trying to get away from you know the kind of polluting solutions and the solutions really of of uh, you know the sort of very linear um, uh, sort of models we have at the moment which are basically extract materials use them and then throw them away um, and think much more about how we can be um, uh, more responsible in terms of using materials that can be reused, um, hopefully totally reused or recycled in the future. Um, so, so I suppose um, to answer your question, you know, we we see that uh, we see ourselves as really trying to influence uh, the industry um, to thinking in a better in a better way. Gary, I'm really interested in what you're saying there. Was there a particular event that transitioned your thinking? Into, into that approach from from the, the beam and block end or beam and, and column engineers to i i, I think there's uh, maybe there's a point in your career where you start to think actually what's important and i mean we went we went through um a quite an interesting process started probably about five years ago which was i suppose something that we'd always done but we we couldn't we, we didn't have a way of being able to define what we were about i suppose we, we kind of always knew that we wanted to do things better but we couldn't we couldn't necessarily kind of ex explore that or explain it. Um, so we we went through quite a process of, of rethinking what it was, what our purpose was, I suppose. And and out of that, you would have seen our kind of umbrella statement, which is um, engineering a better society, which we think pretty much explains what we're trying to do. So it's not it's not just about, um, you know, about pure construction. It's actually about what impact we can have on wider society. And you can take that as big or as small. Uh, as you want to, it can be very local or it can be very global. Um, so, so I think I, I'm not sure necessarily there was one event that suddenly changes, but I think uh, you know we started to think very much about um, there's only so many beams you can design and so many columns you can design, and and actually I think you know as you start to mature as a business and as I suppose as an individual as well, you start to think more deeply about um, what impact you can have and what what you're going to leave behind. Um, and I suppose that, so that was the kind of the, the catalyst that uh, that kind of made us think differently um, and just approach things differently. Um, and I don't know whether now is sort of the, the time to, to bring up the, the kind of the, the ethics, the, um, the pillars that we've kind of created that, that sort of sit underneath engineering a better society. Um, but I think it explains quite well. So, so ethics basically stands for education, technology, health, infrastructure, culture and sustainability. Um, 
and we, we use those pillars um, as a guide, I suppose, guiding principles for us to be able to look at projects from a different way, rather than just saying, well, what's the cheapest way to do this? And obviously, economics is an important factor, but it's not just about the, the sort of the, the cheapest way of doing something um, or even the easiest way of doing something from, from a design perspective. It's actually thinking about how can we do things better across the board. And that, and the, and that framework kind of allows us to question um, you know, and not all of those are always applicable to every project, but um, it certainly allows us to question, uh, you know, our approach to to the design. Yeah, and no, I I would I would agree in that um, we've all been guilty, certainly um, in early stages of our careers, and um, decisions that we've made purely on on cost and and time to get things done as quickly as possible to get a building completed, but we've very little to no thought about what that actually is trading off whether it's sustainability or or end users or or other factors and that's it's very interesting and Garrett, they're, they're also not so i was just going to say that they're, they're also not mutually exclusive i don't think um i mean i think there's a tendency to think that you know doing something that's sustainable um is actually more expensive and actually part a good part of sustainability is actually efficiency it's actually lean design it's it's um it's making sure that you know, we actually design things really economically and uh, and I mean economically from a kind of material sense rather than from a cost sense. But actually, if you're designing from that perspective, then actually the cost should follow. So, so, I, so I think there is this kind of feeling that, you know, if you're going to design a really sustainable building or structure, um, it's got to be more expensive. And I think actually I would argue that the um, the opposite is true, that uh, that actually real sustainability is also about keeping things lean but therefore making things economic um from all aspects and so they should be really joined up they should be really joined up aspects it it just picks up and resonates so heavily with what we were discussing even this morning how uh, from your own perspective as a cost manager how health and well-being aspects don't necessarily uh, result in a a more expensive building it's probably worthwhile you touching on that because it's yeah health and well-being and sustainability are just parallels aren't they yeah, absolutely. Um, and I'm, yeah. Sorry, Gary, I was just going to say on that on that point that you were saying, I I'm, I'm, was guilty of, I suppose, uh, hypocrite of, my, of what I, I advocate in that well-being elements don't have to be expensive. Um, and as a, as a cost consultant, as a quantity surveyor, you, you're normally faced with two frame solutions, whether it's concrete or steel. Timber frame <laughs> is only really considered on a on a property and and more often than not, that comes down to what it does to, to the bottom line. And it's it's just understanding. It's it's purely understanding and having someone advising you, as as you've just said. Then actually, consider these options because if we present those, then you can actually understand what the impact of that is. And we we try and use the health and well-being aspect as a real um, measure and as a real sell to to a client and to to, to others to say. Yes, this building is going to be under budget, but this is the impact it's going to have on other elements that probably need to be considered. You should probably be aware of whether you use them to make a decision or not is one thing, but but be mindful this is the impact. But also, actually, this is going to be a lot more expensive, but this is the trade-off in that, well, not trade-off, but these are some of the aspects that are going to have a great improvement on your building, not just from a, from a um, delivery perspective and sustainability perspective, but through life cycle so no it is it was quite interesting you've mentioned that so it is, i mean it's it, fundamentally it's an approach isn't it i mean it's a, it's just thinking thinking differently about an approach and and if you start to think about health and well-being i think we we talked about you know the stairs and i think this is something that's starting to creep into 
designs now where you know historically um you know the lift for example was the first thing you see when you walk in the door um so everybody's tended to sort of just go into a lift you know whereas actually if you make the stairs um you know the focal point and you make it uh, an interesting journey um uh, then people are more tempted to kind of use the stairs so unknowingly uh, they're using stairs and they're they're becoming fitter sort of during the building and actually there are some great examples of buildings now where you know stairs and ramps are kind of used extensively to to access all parts of the buildings um, and and the lifts are kind of tucked away around behind and not not only does it kind of get people moving and um and kind of exercising whilst they're moving around the office but it also creates opportunities for um you know for those chance meetings um through through the kind of the space um, and I think, you know, with, we'll probably touch, I'm sure, at some point on, on COVID-19. It's difficult not to with the current environment. But actually, you know, the idea of getting into lifts with, uh, with another 10 people is probably something that people want to avoid. Whereas, you know, wide stairs, um, you know, actually, it's, it's relatively easy. If you have ramps and stairs, it's relatively easy to keep some degree of social distancing. So, so I, think, I think all of these things, if you start to think about these right at the beginning of a project, uh, then you can build these in. And I don't think they necessarily have to create... Um, a more expensive building, but but equally they can create a much more interesting building and a, and a much more usable building and a much more friendly building, with a, with a great atmosphere and a great um, you know a great kind of uh, philosophy that's behind it. And um, one thing, Gary, after we had that conversation about the stairs, is Jordan and I discussed that and thought that was just such a fantastic, um, such a such a, a really beneficial change in perspective for what the use of a staircase is within a building and yeah. we thought how can we from the design perspective is how can we bring that to a focal point of a building but also how can we encourage people to use it and enjoy it and then we thought right to to um, really create that positive interaction with a stairwell we could install um like little plaques on the wall at each level so people know if, if they walk from the ground to the first they know how many calories they've burnt within that one journey That's great. Um, and then if you do that for every level up obviously your calorie counts going up on the wall just just as constant reminders so you it's it's just creating those positive and connections with the building and then that's directly related to either sustainability or health and well-being outcomes and i think it's really important that you touched on community as well by having a, a social space within a stair core to create those community interactions. Because from our research, uh, community is actually the strongest positive association with better quality of life. And so creating, integrating social interactions into buildings is vital to have a successful outcome, a long-term outcome for that asset. So that's, um, yeah, I really like to hear the way that you're approaching that. And that probably leads into my next question, which we've already sort of touched on, but I wanted to hone in on it because when we spoke a few weeks ago, you said something that really stuck with me. And I think this is uh, one of the key drivers as to how and why you and your business think so differently about the role of a building and also redefining the role of engineers. And I think touching on where you said that you've, um, been operating very very successfully for 26 years i think this is probably a key driver behind that and you said to us how do we think about designing for the future so we don't end up with the same problems we have now and i know we've sort of touched on that so at the beginning of this call but i'd really like to hone in on what you believe are the, the main problems that we have now and what i suppose the solutions are 
that we can be integrating into our design considerations to ensure we don't have those in the future. Yeah, absolutely. I think you're um, you're absolutely right. And, and as I, I said, highlighted earlier on, um, <clears throat> the use of you know, the industry has been pretty bad in the past. Um, probably not knowingly, because I, th- I think it's fair to say that you know, ten years ago, even you know, sustainability, fifteen years ago, probably sustainability, you know, was kind of low on the agenda. It was almost the last thing that uh, anybody talked about. Um, uh, but I, but I think you know, building building buildings in concrete, um, you know, we all know that cement production is a is a hugely polluting. Um, material and uh, and therefore you know anything that's built in in concrete or steel um, now actually effectively occupies or uses embodied carbon very early on the process sort of you know as soon as you put concrete into a building or steel into a building that embodied carbon has already been used um, so um, you know so I suppose uh, you know looking in the future how can we do things better well I mean you know there's been a lot of talk and a lot of press at the moment about obviously using timber and and we probably mostly know that um, timber sequesters uh, CO2, so effectively it absorbs um, carbon rather than uses it at the beginning of life. So, so the use of timber, effectively, if you're trying to reduce carbon now, then the use of timber is is absolutely um, critical in terms of building buildings with lower embodied carbon. But I think it's much wider than that as well. You know, and I think we we should be obviously looking at all, all ways of being able to reduce embodied carbon in our buildings. But I think fundamentally, um, you know, I, again, I touched on the sort of the way that we've used materials in the past. We've extracted, we've used, and then we've thrown away. You know, that that whole process has got to change and, and is changing <clears throat> to a point where we effectively reuse. And that's not recycling. That's actually reusing the materials that we put into buildings um, so that our buildings effectively become material stores of the future. <clears throat> and um, that means that we have to therefore plan for uh for building buildings that can be demounted in the future rather than being demolished so the idea ultimately is that we create one huge um database uh and you know there are some databases that are being created at the moment for this um so that all materials that go into buildings um when they when they get to end of life can be taken out um and scanned uh understanding exactly what those materials are what their properties are um what their dimensions are, uh, and so they can then then be kind of designed into new buildings of the future. Um, and so I think I think that's obviously how we can start to think now about looking at uh, into the future. But I think I think there are still opportunities for taking existing buildings and reusing materials. Um, you know, we're currently actually looking at a project for a uh, a well-recognised central London developer who is looking to create a a very highly sustainable building. Which is an existing building. It's a sort of mix Victorian, um, mix of Victorian buildings um, and and some sort of later alterations that are being carried out. And so we're we're actually looking at uh, sort of sort of challenging the normal perceptions um, by uh, by recording, going in and finding out exactly what materials exist within the existing building, and then having a kind of a hierarchy of hoping to reuse those existing materials actually inside the existing building. Um, and just to give you a quick example, we're looking at a, a project at the moment where we've been in, we've recorded all of the existing construction, so the concrete slabs, the, the brickwork, the timber, um, and then we've created a design that actually reutilizes. So all those have been built, sorry, all that material has been built into, into our BIM model. And then um, we've actually tested uh, the quality of the brickwork, we've looked at the timber, we've regraded the timber, and we've uh, checked the quality of the concrete slabs, ground floor slabs. And then we've we reordered um, effectively those materials into the new building. So we reused the concrete slabs, the ground floor slabs. We cut them up rather than just crushing them and, and breaking them up and putting them into into fill. 
Um, what we've done is we've actually cut them up into slabs and we've then reused those as foundation stones. So we put them onto a blinding layer and then use those as foundations and then reuse the brickwork as corbels. So we've kind of gone back, uh, back to kind of the way the Victorians built buildings um, with having uh, corbelled foundations. Um, so all of those bricks and concrete have kind of gone in, gone in back into the building, but in a different in a different kind of way than they were used uh, in the building that we demolished. Um, so we think that that hierarchy is something that's really important. So the hierarchy probably goes along the lines of can you or can you actually leave everything in place is the starting point. You know, can you do the absolute minimum to the building is is the starting point. If if you have to make alterations, then can you reuse those materials? on site so that you don't have to um, you know, use energy to, to take those materials off site. Um, and then you know, this particular uh, client is looking at, um, has, a, has a wider, um, uh, a wider state of, of buildings. So, so if, that, if that material can't be used in that particular building, can it be used on their estate? Um, and then if it can't be used on the state, is there, uh, is there the possibility of reusing that on other construction sites um, around, uh, around the area uh, locally? Um, and, and this kind of brings, on, brings me on to an interesting sort of area that we're looking at at the moment, which is a, a second-hand market for, um, for construction materials that can be reused. I mean, there is already quite a robust system for recycling materials, and that's used widely. But I've been having conversations with um, demolition contractors who uh, have no knowledge of anything that really exists um, in terms of reusing materials generally. I think they are generally familiar with kind of specific types of materials that we want to reuse. So, Perhaps there's some, you know, cast iron columns that come out of buildings um, or some, you know, potentially really nice bits of timber that come out that they want to reuse. And that's something that's kind of happened over the years. But, but a sort of a general reuse of materials um, rather than just recycling them is something that really doesn't exist at the moment. And something that we're trying to push at the moment to see if we can start to find a way of generating a, a proper secondhand market um, where those materials are tested as a matter of course. So that when you buy a material, it's pretty much the same as buying material new. Um, all it is is that it happens to have come out of a, a building that's been previously used. So we think this is just different. It's just different thinking and different ways of looking at um, uh, of you know the stock. It's, it's rather than looking at a building that's got to be demolished. It's looking at a building as how can it be taken apart and how can it be reused. And I think that's fundamentally different approach to the approach that's been used um, over many many years. Um, and we think it's something that we have to do. Uh, and you know this probably has to be. Uh, has to be kind of enforced in some way by by government at some point to to kind of improve the, uh, the environmental impact that we're having, um, and so maybe maybe there's a maybe there's a tax on new materials in some way, or, or maybe we have to kind of um, give uh, benefits. In perhaps this is a better way is to give benefits to those that um, to buy secondhand materials. You know, um, interesting, Gary. You you mentioned about this new London developer client of yours that you're working on to, to deliver this reuse type scenario. What was the what was the mindset of of that developer to adopt this approach? I mean, was it a difficult sell to say this is what we're proposing? Uh, ab or? Absolutely not. Actually, I have to say that um, incredibly, I can't I can't uh, I can't name them unfortunately no. at the moment. But um, uh, no, they they were absolutely up for this and uh, wanted to bring on a team that were um, were in this space. So you know, we have uh, architects who are very pro the kind of the whole sustainability approach. We have some sustainability consultants on the project as well um, and ourselves and I think we are all very like-minded um, and and the client and it, it is so important that the client is behind this you know, to actually allow this to happen um, the client was absolutely adamant they wanted to make this I think they're the, the most sustainable building is their, is their tagline if I haven't given too much away there as to who the client is 
Um, <laughs> but, but I think I think it, you know I, I think it is it is changing, uh, and you know we are noticing a, a real shift. Um, you know, we were talking about this stuff to clients two or three years ago, and we were talking about building commercial buildings using timber, and clients looked at us like we were mad. Um, and uh, and now, you know, we are working with many, many of the central London developers, and we are looking at uh, commercial buildings um, with large parts of timber uh, being used within those buildings. Um, and and there are some challenges with that. We, you know, every, every material has its challenges, and at the moment there are some significant uh, fire issues with, with the use of timber. Um, you know that we're working through trying to uh, to work our way through that. And the bottom line is is that we've just got to find technical solutions to that. We can't, we cannot give up on timber as being uh, a material for use for the future. Um, it is absolutely fundamental as part of a strategy for for being more environmentally uh, sound for the future. And um, uh, you know, but, and, but there are challenges at the moment. I mean, I think it's fair to say yeah. that you know there are challenges we're having to face and we're having to go through and, and to demonstrate to um, you know to the fire brigade and to and to building control that um, a timber building uh, is robust and resilient um, in in the event of fire. Um, Can I just go, quickly go back? I know Adam's going to jump in on the, the, the timber frame because he's he's going to ask you some questions about how that can improve health mm -hmm. and well-being through biophilic design but just from a, a selfish perspective as a quantity surveyor i'm really interested by this approach with the reuse of materials on a project and, and then integrating those within the design brief and and great having all of the consultants on on the same page with it i mean that's obviously massively important is there i'm just interested from a from a delivery perspective both in procurement and in cost planning and with buildability and deliverability is it, i mean is that a is there a trade-off with those things because the way at the minute you're talking about changing policy and changing um potentially having like a tax on on new materials that will maybe maybe higher the whole industry at the minute is geared towards from my perspective let's just bung in new you measure a design and you measure new steel work you measure new concrete there's no way and there's a, a quantity so you, you remeasuring um old on it and existing materials to put back in was that a challenge on this project to, to i think to... I, I get your point but i think actually it's eminently possible to measure existing buildings i mean in some ways it's easier to measure existing buildings than it is new ones <laughs> yeah because you can go in and physically measure them um i mean obviously what you need to have is a good understanding of of what's there and that can be challenging obviously you know establishing and going in and, and doing opening up works and finding out sort of you know the existing materials um, but actually, we, we do that uh, anyway on buildings. You know, we build existing buildings in great detail into our Revit models. Um, so, that, so that information is, is already being built into our Revit models. So I think the question is, is, is you know, what we tend to do is we, we build all the existing information to existing models so we know what we're starting with. We do that anyway as engineers because we need to understand the existing buildings to, able, to enable us to kind of engineer them. What, what's missing at the moment, I think, is the next process, which is to then look and see, well, how, how could you take those materials and reuse them in situ? Mm. Um, or, or actually question, and I think, you know, questioning whether you can keep, keep parts of the building that perhaps otherwise you wouldn't. I mean, so some of the questions we're asking is, you know, the natural state is always to say, well, let's, let's put a basement in. You know, let's, uh, if, we're going to, if we're going to demolish a building, um, let's put a basement in and you know that that is a hugely I mean and there may be benefits and there may be reasons for doing that but I think on the other side you should question whether there is a real need now but also whether there's a real need for that in the future you know so you know with technology <clears throat> and plants you know reducing and, and as we decarbonize the grid for example you know we're building to turn into sort of electric buildings rather than um, gas fueled 
uh, <clears throat> you know, will that will that start to impact on why we're doing certain things? And shouldn't we question that now as, as part of the design process? So, you know, so we're questioning, you know, the, the stock answer was always, well, let's put a basement in because it'll be it'll be useful space and saying, well, actually, you know, that's hugely it's a very intense process from a carbon perspective, putting, you know, digging out all that ground and, and taking and putting it into landfill <clears throat> and putting in all the concrete that's associated to hold back the ground whilst you do that is actually a hugely um, mm. carbon intensive process, as well as all the kind of carbon that's used in the, in the transportation. So surely as part of the design process, we should be questioning whether we should be doing certain things from a, from a, um, you know, from a practical perspective as well, you know, and if, if there are good reasons for doing a basement, and I'm not saying we shouldn't do it, um, but we should surely be testing and not just saying, well, that's for now, but also, you know, testing what it's going to be like in the future. And, yeah. you know, if that, if that basement's not going to be used for lots of plant in the future, for example, is there, a, is there a use that it will be put to in the future? You know, so that we're not just creating space now that, um, that won't be usable at some point um, further down the line. Gary, what sort of percentages are we looking at uh, that are possible to reuse from an existing building? Um, I, I would say, I mean, if we, uh, so we're only talking structure at the moment. So obviously there's, there's yeah. lots of materials that sit into a building that are not structure. Um, and, and actually structure accounts for around about 50% of, of all the embodied carbon. That, that's, I mean, this is a very generic, uh, yeah. it's very yeah. generic, you know, obviously depends, obviously varies from building to building, but it's roughly about 50%. So obviously there's the facades, there's the finishes, there's all the other stuff that there's obviously all the M&E that goes into um, buildings as well. So those obviously have their own um, embodied carbon count. But um, so structure, uh, which is the bit that we're really kind of focused on at the moment is, is an area that, that accounts for around about 50% of the whole carbon. Um, and I, I would argue that, you know, in certain buildings, it might be possible to reuse everything. Um, you know, we, you know, we're taking existing buildings and potentially adding onto them um, you know, we might be able to make some alterations to the existing buildings and use those materials in the extensions, or actually, arguably, we might just keep the existing building, um, you know, and not, and not alter it particularly. So I think it, it just, it's just about uh, questioning all these things at the early, early, early process. And we often draw a graph that really shows the impact that we can have, which really shows, um, you know, the thinking needs to happen at stage zero. Uh, which is a time that very often engineers are not even asked to be involved. Um, and, you know, we think that actually that's the point where we can have the, the most impact on a, a project is thinking about this kind of stuff right at the very, very first stages to, to think about how we approach, um, you know, the kind of the whole design to the building to see whether we can do things better. Couldn't agree more. And that leads perfectly into my next question, actually. Um, because when doing my background research on uh, your company and, and, and the history of yourself, the one thing I found that was very interesting in your approach is that you, and also that you've touched on a lot today, is that you're constantly in search of different perspectives and ideas to challenge the status quo to find out if there's a better way of doing things and what it, what I liked is that everything I've read historically is really matching with exactly what you're saying now. And I think that's definitely been a key driver behind your continued success in the industry is just a constant pursuit of uh, searching for a different perspective. And that's definitely evident with your proactive approach to collaborations with other companies and creating also the co-working space that you've created for the built environment, which was for talks and debates with other industry professionals. 
And I completely agree with you that I personally think that industry is beginning to be more accepting of this sort of mindset. But there's obviously still a very, very long way to go. But the market, um, we feel, is shifting towards a better understanding that it is within their best interest to adopt sustainable practices and also integrate health and well-being into the core of projects as healthy buildings equals healthy occupants equals healthy asset performance. So I know that you, we touched on it earlier in the talk with your ethics framework um, to, and effectively to ensure that these aspects are all captured in the designs that you're involved in. And I'd really like to hone in on the health and well-being aspects of your framework. So is it okay to give us an overview of, of the ethics framework and specifically looking at the health and well-being aspects for how you would deliver and integrate that into your buildings? Yes, it's, it's kind of interesting uh, that we, we, we actually thought, um, so the T, uh, which is technology of ethics, um, you know, we always thought that was actually going to be the driver, you know, over the next few years. We thought that, uh, you know, the, the huge changes in technology would really shift uh, the way that um, that we operate, and you know, actually, um, it's proven to be the case. The fact that we're talking today in the way that we are, um, and you know, there's something that probably I wasn't doing two months ago or three months ago. Um, the, the really interesting fact is, I think that that uh, uh, the age of of ethics, health, has actually been the driver for change, um, and you know that that has happened over an incredibly short period of time. Uh, and I think it will change things massively for the future. Um, you know, certainly people have realized that uh, perhaps we don't need to be in the office for five days of the week. Perhaps we don't need to rush around London um, or wherever we work uh, in other parts of the country. We don't have to drive, you know, 100 miles, whatever it is, to to be able to have meaningful meetings. Um, and I have to say that, to be honest, I was probably quite a skeptic uh, about the sort of the ability to be able to have effective meetings on Zoom or on teams um, but recent events I think have, have absolutely proven that we can do that and so and so what impact does that have well it means that you know we're not traveling so much so so that's got to have a, a positive impact in terms of the environment um, that means that we make we need to make uh, need to make less journeys um, I also think it perhaps has a real positive impact on our mental health as well and I think you know clearly not all of us want to be working from home forever um, I think you know we all need we're all social animals and we all need to have uh, social interactions and I think you know that would obviously be part of the future so I'm not I'm not suggesting for a minute that you know the office space is dead I think on the contrary I think it's it's absolutely essential that we have effective and good um, office space but I do think that it will shift the way that we work and we will work sort of more effectively and use technology um, you know where we need to um, uh, but also I, th I think it's it's perhaps allowing us to rethink our own health and well-being and you, you touched on that as being uh, a part of this and i think you know having time that it's home having time with family having quality um time and then and then thinking about how that then sort of feeds into our buildings you know we touched on how can we make ourselves physically fitter through our buildings but i think it's also how can we make ourselves mentally fitter as well by by sort of the um uh you know the buildings that we go into and this is not just offices this is our homes and everything else and i think we all know that you know, we all know from our own experiences that when you go into a nice space, when you go into a good space, when you go into a space that's um, lit well, you know, if it's got volume, if it's got um, space and you've got, uh, you know, nice views or you've got greenery or you've got the bio biophilia kind of um, impact that you can get from natural materials like timber, for example, you know, so looking at timber, 
all those things give you a good feel factor, which are very difficult to quantify. Um, and you know, there are there are a number of studies I think that have been carried out um, in schools, uh, for example, with school children about uh, you know the quality of the space, the light, um, you know what they're looking at, what the space uh, contains, that that starts to show that you get improved learning, um, it being from being in those kinds of environments. So you know, that, it, I'm sure it's no different for children than it is for adults. That you know, we will work more effectively. We will work better. We will um, we will be healthier. We will be fitter if we operate in. In great spaces um, and I think you know we, we've talked I've touched on the embodied carbon aspects of, of timber uh, but I do honestly think that also there are real benefits to seeing those kinds of materials you know the softer feel of looking at timber when you walk into a building rather than the, the rather harsh uh, you know uh, reality of, of steel and concrete um, so so yeah I, you know I think timber um, absolutely has a place to play both in the, its kind of low embodied carbon and the fact that that does that now right now which is what we need to do to get the embodied carbon levels down and reduce co2 um but uh but also has has much wider benefits um and uh taking that a little bit sort of further as well so we, we do a number of studies on construction of timber frames versus versus concrete frames for example and we can demonstrate that uh, a building of a superstructure in concrete um, takes about four times as many vehicular movements uh, to get the concrete to site than it does the equivalent timber frame. Um, and that's simply because of the weight. The weight of concrete is obviously far greater than timber. So there's a limit to how much you can transport in any one go, whereas you can transport more timber. So, so consequently, um, you know, that has wider impacts as well. So obviously safe from a health and safety perspective, that reduces the number of vehicles in a large vehicular movements on a road. So, you know, by, by 75%, that's a really significant advantage. It therefore obviously reduces the amount of pollution. Um, and, you know, it, it's, uh, it feels like when you start to kind of build the story of the low embodied carbon, um, you know, you start to look at the biophilic uh, benefits that you get from that. You start to look at the reductions to society in terms of the impact just in noise, numbers of vehicular movements um, and, and, you know, the, as I said, the health aspects, you know, actually it seems to me that it's a bit of a no brainer. Um, and if you add into that, that we think uh, now um, with the marketplace as it stands, you don't have to pay any more for it because you get savings on foundations, you get savings on transfer structures, you actually get quicker installation of structures. Um, you know, you, you are starting to build a picture, which actually is pretty convincing. The only downside at the moment is the issue that I mentioned earlier about fire, which is something that we, we are trying to address or the industry is trying to address um, at the moment. Is there, um, I'm just thinking, Gary, about the, the way timber frame, is there a, like a, a sweet spot in where timber frame should be used in your, from your work or? Um, I mean, timber's been, I mean, interesting thing, people seem to think timber's new. I mean, there are, there are timber buildings that have been around for a thousand years uh, and you know, they're very resilient. In fact, um, in Japan, many of the, the buildings that, uh, the older buildings that survived earthquake um, forces, uh, earthquake uh, situations um, are, are timber. So, so actually, you know, if timber is treated in the right way, it actually can be incredibly resilient. Um, and so, and timber is used in construction a lot anyway. I mean, so, you know, most, if you live in a house or a, a you know, a low rise building, the chances are that your floors are timber, your roof is timber. Um, you know, yes, the walls perhaps are not timber, but equally there's lots of areas where it is. Um, and, you know, so, and, and if you go to the States, if you go to Europe, if you go to Canada particularly, I mean, timber is used 
extensively in huge numbers of buildings that you'd often wouldn't even when you go past them you wouldn't consider they're in timber so timber is not yeah. timber is not new it's, it's a it's a product that's been used in construction you know i think the that the um the use of mass timber is is relatively new in the uk so when i say mass timber i'm talking about um cross laminated timber clt mm -hmm. um principally but and, and glue lamb um glue lamb elements so those kinds of materials are relatively new, I, I guess, in the UK. So, you know, they are seen, I think, as a, as a slightly odd thing to be using, particularly in commercial buildings. I think, you know, as I said earlier, you know, we, we had quite sort of odd reactions, I think, from clients who, who thought we must be mad to be suggesting we should be using timber for commercial buildings. But now, you know, we're, we're doing quite a few um, uh, buildings uh, that are going to be, that have used and are already built, uh, have used and are using timber, both um, you know, hybrids where we're using steel frames and timber floors, but also all timber construction. So we're using timber columns, timber beams, and timber, um, which is obviously you know kind of the most beneficial from a from a carbon perspective. Um, mm. And and you know again, it, there's areas of Australia where um, you know this is being used extensively, and and there's relatively tall buildings in Australia as well that have been using timber and have been using timber for a long time. So you know, so I think it's it's more of a mindset issue i think it's people getting used to the idea that we should be building in timber rather than there's something odd about timber <laughs> yeah I, I completely agree yeah no and, and definitely from a from a from a perspective adam and i looked at a scheme a number of years ago for a student development and it was eight stories high and we had a had a, a, a timber frame solution that was offered on that and it I mean, it, it looked like something from the medieval times when you looked at the design when, with, with nothing else on it, um, just the way it's structured. And, and it was a perception thing. It was, it was completely perception, nothing, nothing more. Something is, I'm I mean, interested. There's a lot of, I mean, just to say, there's a lot of stuff that's obviously coming out from the Hackett report, um, you know, due to Grenfell. And, you know, uh, you know, there are restrictions now on, on what you can build timber. So you can't have anything that's combustible, obviously, in elevations. Um, at the moment, it's sitting at 18, anything above 18 meters. Um, there is talk about that coming down to 11 meters. So clearly, that complicates the use of timber in um, uh, in residential, uh, in sort of taller residential units. So that's something that um, has to be considered. And I think, you know, that there is a perception problem. I think also with the use of timber, uh, you know, in in construction, and particularly where that timber is not encapsulated, where that timber is exposed. You know, that seems to be sort of a hot topic at the moment. Um, and um, you know, without going into the details of of, of the kind of the fire challenges, you know, it is true to say that timber clearly is a combustible material, and and so mm. the reality is is that any timber that goes into a building, if it's exposed, effectively adds to the fire load, and that is the challenge that the industry faces at the moment about addressing that with uh, with the London Fire Brigade um, and and building control. Yeah, yeah, sure. Yes, yeah, it's, it's definitely a a balancing act getting the environmental the health and well-being aspects and also the health and safety aspects of the building right um yeah. and it's that's obviously just have to be done on a project by project basis because the the environmental and social benefits are astronomical um just from even just from biophilic design that that is just got such enormous um, health and well-being benefits to end users, and when through our research, uh, access to a natural environment was the fourth strongest um, design aspect associated with better quality of life. So, the more interactions we can design in buildings with natural materials, the better that is, and the higher people's quality of life is. And whether that's residential or commercial, it, it doesn't matter. Yeah. So, it's definitely just getting that that balancing act right of um, 
yeah, each one of those variables to ensure that we get really high performance buildings, which are also safe for the long term. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and I think, you know, that is, a, that is a, you know, um, you know, preservation of life is of absolute um, importance in, in all of those considerations. Uh, and, and clearly as engineers, um, that has to be, you know, the absolute kind of prime concern is that nothing that we do puts anybody's life at risk. And, um, you know, that, that is the process that we're going through to demonstrate. I, I think the, the important thing to remember is though that we, we shouldn't we shouldn't just take that as being an answer not to do stuff um, in a better way. I think we need to we need to prove it, we need to test it, we need to do all the things that are necessary to demonstrate that what we're, what we're proposing is actually safe under those um, conditions, as well as you know achieving all the other goals. Um, you know we, we can't we can't just take one element of that and uh, forget all the other things. So completely accept that. Very well underscored. I couldn't agree more. And I think that uh, re really underlines why you've had such continued success is just your, your mindset and your perspective approach to ensuring you're always challenging your own personal bias to yeah, challenge perceptions to make sure uh, is what we're doing now the most suitable solution for the future. Um, and that leads us into Gary, our, our final question really is, if, did you have any final thoughts or comments that you would like to leave us with on how engineers can create a healthier, more sustainable future? I think it's probably reiterating on, on what I've said so far. I think it's about uh, thinking about it. Um, before we put pen to paper, I think it's thinking about how we can start on any project, whatever it is, however big, however small, <clears throat> we can have we can have an impact. Um, I mean, we we've actually called we actually call it flip it sometimes internally. So um, so we just kind of try and look at everything from a different angle. So we we take something. So we do a lot of um, internal discussions about projects. We have a lot of reviews. We we sort of throw ideas around, and uh, and out of that process, I think you know comes um, ideas of perhaps just doing things in a different way. Uh, and, and I think that's something that everybody should do. I think everybody should um, talk and debate and question um, the brief. I think there's a, there's a real tendency for design teams to kind of get a brief from a client um, and to accept that that brief is, is right. Um, and I think, uh, you know, what, what all teams should be doing is, is basically questioning the brief and asking the, the really important questions about how can we do things, how can we do things better or how can we do even better, how can we do better things? I think is probably um, a better way of putting it. So um, <clears throat> I just think it's an approach. I think it's a, it's a state of mind. And I think, you know, what we are trying to do as a, as a business is uh, be influencers um, and try to, uh, I suppose, try to you know, educate as well. You know, there's kind of the E of ethics is, is education. And I think all of this is about educating um, educating people, including ourselves. I mean, you know, we're not the, we clearly, you know, we're not the fountain of, of all knowledge by any stretch of the imagination. So it's about us learning and everybody learning um, in what is a new world. And, uh, you know, what, I think what's also interesting is um, will be people's views of what the new world should look like as we come back into, you know, what we think might be sort of normality. I think normality will be different. Um, but I think it will, hopefully it will ask, it will ask people to ask themselves um, about how we can do things differently in the future. I think this little pause um, hopefully will give people a little bit of time to think that we can do things better. 
And I think that was uh, summed up very nicely within one sentence where you said, however big or small, we have an impact. And that's a, a very um, helpful reminder to all property professionals out there that every decision we make has an impact. And that impact may last 20, 30, 40 years because that building's going to be there for multiple generations. So we all have a part to play in our decisions to ensure that we're creating a better future. Um, so that was really, really nicely summed up, Gary. Um, just to get your details. So where can people find and follow you if they'd like to get in touch? Oh gosh, now you're talking technology. <laughs> <laughs> well, we all know I, I none of us are very good at that. And, all my hashtags to hand and uh, all that kind of malarkey. I'll have to send that on to you. <laughs> Sure. Okay. We'll leave it in the, uh, in the footnotes of the, the podcast. I mean, obviously through the website and stuff, obviously all the, all the information is there, but um, yeah, no, I think it's, it's a really interesting. So I mean, just, sorry, I was just going to pick up on one point you just raised there, which is about sort of doing things differently. And I think it's a little bit like um, the impact you can have uh, sort of individually as well. So we all individually need to do our own bit. You know, we need to recycle. We need to think about how we're doing things better internally. And I think clearly the impact we have as individuals is, is relatively small. Um, you know, the impact that we can have as businesses is obviously bigger. So if we can all think like that, then, then obviously that's an improvement. But I, and, and actually, as, as a sort of UK, as a, as a position in the world, you know, only accounts for about 1% of the global um, carbon CO2 emissions. Um, so it actually is a small player, but the UK itself has huge influence in the world. So, so if you start to sort of take it from the individual to the company, you know, to the country, to the world, um, you know, we can all have actually quite a big influence if we if we think about things in the right way. Um, and I suppose it's for everybody to try and think like this. And if everybody thinks like this uh, and thinks thinks about how we can do things better, then then hopefully it will start to impact, you know, companies. It will start to impact large companies, governments, countries, and the world. And you know, that's a big aspiration, clearly. But um, it's it's the only way uh, the human race is going to survive. Bottom line. There you go. That's an ending. <laughs> That's an ending. <laughs> yeah. What, what a sign. You want to cut that one out? Yeah. <laughs> what Definitely a, not. That's, that's your new sign off. <laughs> yeah, like that's, that's really taking it to the uh, yeah to, to the stars, isn't it? <laughs> no, but it's very fitting and very true because that's the reality we're we're genuinely facing. So, um, Gary, it's been an absolute pleasure. That um, we'll let you get back to Likewise. your day. Thank, thank you, Gary. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Built for Life podcast. If you learned something new today or found value from hearing from a different property perspective, please comment on what you found useful as it helps us understand what you like and what you want to hear more of. And also please subscribe if you want more and most importantly, please share this video to the people in your network you believe will get the most value from the information as you are personally helping spread information and education across the industry. As they say, never doubt that a small group of thoughtful, committed citizens can change your world. And by you watching and sharing this, you are now part of that group. And just to finish, if you would like unlimited free access to the world's best research and resources related to health, well-being and the built environment, you can subscribe to the Life Proven Library where academic research, reports and case studies are regularly added. They're then reviewed in detail and the key findings are extracted into easy to use dot points and also a brief summary video. 
So you don't even need to read the reports, all the heavy lifting has been done for you as you can just watch the summary. So just head to www.lifeproven.co.uk and click on the button library at the top of the page. And as always, if you have a project, an investment opportunity, or you are interested in a collaboration and would like to discuss directly, you can contact us at adam at lifeproven.co.uk.